0: Chapter 18 of Oliver Cromwell and the Rule of the Puritans in England. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nico Williams Oliver Cromwell and the Rule of the Puritans in England by Charles H. Firth. Chapter 18. Chapter 18. Cromwell's foreign policy 1654 to 1658 three aims guided Cromwell's foreign policy the first was the desire to maintain and to spread the protestant religion the second the desire to preserve and extend english commerce the third the desire to prevent the restoration of the stuarts by foreign aid the european mission of england its material greatness and its political independence were inseparably associated in his mind and beneath all apparent wavering and hesitation these three aims he consistently pursued the protector had inherited from the long parliament a european situation of the greatest complexity the dutch war had undone the work of the previous three years in sixteen fifty three england was once more isolated and in danger of a european combination against her England and France were still carrying on hostilities at sea. Denmark had seized English merchantmen and closed the Baltic to English trade. Portugal was actually at war with us. There were rumors of the formation of a triple alliance against England between Holland, France, and Denmark. On the other hand, the war turned more and more against the United Provinces. In the spring of 1654, The English were perfectly lords and masters of narrow seas, and no Dutch merchantmen could show itself in the channel. England had captured over fourteen hundred sail from the Dutch, including a hundred and twenty men of war. In March sixteen fifty-four, she had a hundred and forty men of war at sea, and better ships, added Cromwell's Secretary of State, than we have had at any time heretofore. Nevertheless, every motive solicitude for the protestant cause the interest of commerce the frustration of designs of the royalists all made peace with holland necessary moreover england was fast sinking under the financial burdens which even successful war imposed cromwell therefore turned a deaf ear to those who maintained that a little more persistence would force the dutch to accept the original demands of the long parliament and from the moment he took the negotiations in hand he threw overboard the amalgamation of the two republics. In its place, he at first proposed an offensive and defensive alliance between England and Holland. They were to league themselves together, not merely for commercial or national ends, but for the preservation of freedom and the outspreading of the kingdom of Christ. Who can tell, said he, what God in his own time might intend to accomplish for the deliverance of oppressed nations by means of the two republics? Other Protestant powers, and even those Catholic powers which had allowed their subjects liberty of conscience, might be invited to join the League. The Dutch envoys, less enthusiastic and more practical, would hear of nothing more than a defensive alliance, and even that proved more than could be realized. The negotiations were slow, for the demands of England were still too high, and France obstructed the progress of the treaty as much as it could. The Protector yielded on some points but remained inexorable on others, and prepared to renew the war. So the resistance of the Dutch gave way, and by the treaty signed on April 5, 1654, they admitted the supremacy of the British flag in the British seas, abandoned any demand for the modification of the Navigation Act, and promised to pay damages for the losses of English merchants in the East. Each state undertook to expel from its borders the rebels or enemies of the other, finally by a private engagement the province of holland undertook permanently to exclude the princes of orange from command by land or sea cromwell had thus attained two of his objects english commerce was made secure and the dutch would no longer help the royalists to attack the government which england had chosen to set up at the banquet which he gave the dutch ambassadors on the conclusion of the treaty he dwelt on the advantages of friendship between the two states they sang the hundred and twenty-third psalm together behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity but there was no real restoration of unity and if the great protestant alliance of cromwell's dreams depended on the support of the dutch there was little hope of its accomplishment the commercial jealousy of the two states never slumbered for a moment and the diplomatists of the protector found the influence of the dutch continually obstructing their negotiations a few days later than the peace with united provinces cromwell's ambassador whitlock concluded a treaty with sweden april eleventh sixteen fifty four to cromwell and to englishmen who had witnessed the exploits of gustavus adolphus sweden still seemed the champion of protestantism in northern europe and the natural ally of the puritan england the english wrote whitlock in his diary are the only people with whom the swedes may hope for a firm enmity and union for the protestant interest against the common enemy thereof the popish party apart from this there were other questions in which the political interests of the two nations coincided and cromwell offered to assist the swedes with a fleet in asserting the freedom of the sound against denmark and holland whitlock was received with the greatest friendliness your general said queen christina to him hath done the greatest things of any man in the world the prince of conde is next to him but short of him she compared cromwell to her ancestor gustavus vasa and predicted that like him after being the liberator of his country he would become its king nevertheless the swedish ministers fearful of involving their country in a war with holland and perhaps with France, declined the pro-offered alliance. The embassy resulted in a treaty of amity regulating the commercial intercourse of the two states, and providing that Sweden should give no assistance to the cause of Charles II. Next came a treaty with Denmark, which, as Holland's ally, had been included in the treaty with the Dutch, on condition that the English merchants were compensated for the detention of their ships in the Sound during the war. By the commercial treaty which followed in September 1654, English vessels were in future to be allowed to pass the Sound on the same terms as the Dutch. Still more important from the commercial point of view was the treaty with Portugal, concluded in July 1654. English merchants received reparations for their losses, were guaranteed freedom from the interference of the Inquisition, and were given liberty to trade with all Portuguese colonies in the East or West all these treaties besides the commercial advantages they brought gave additional security to the new government against the royalists but cromwell valued those with the protestant states most because they also gave increased security to the protestant interest abroad i wish said he to his parliament that it may be written upon our hearts to be zealous for that interest for if ever it were likely to come under a condition of suffering it is now and by this conjunction of interests, you will be in a more fit capacity to help them. In the same speech, the protector was able to point out the change in attitude of Europe toward England, which nine months of his rule had produced. There is not a nation in Europe, he said, but is willing to ask a good understanding with you. Instead of rumors of coalitions against England, the two greatest powers of the continent were bidding against each other for her alliance spain pressed england to land an army in southern france in support of conde's rebellion promising help to recover calais and large subsidies toward the cost of the english auxiliaries france offered to abandon the cause of charles II and to assist england with men and money to conquer dunkirk for some months oliver wavered or seemed to waver apparently he was intent only on driving the best possible bargain for england with the two competitors for her support in reality he was studying the conditions of the problem and making up his mind how to act as both were catholic powers religious considerations were less decisive than usual on the one hand the case of the huguenots whose rights under the edict of nantes were continually infringed by the french government appealed strongly to his protestant zeal on the other hand the catholicism of france was less bigoted than the catholicism of spain and whatever the wrongs of the huguenots were it became clear he could do more to get them redressed by good understanding with france than by armed intervention political considerations also made peace with france desirable hitherto it was true spain had been far more friendly to the republic than its rival but france was at once the more dangerous enemy and the more valuable ally whatever subsidies spain might promise in return for english aid it was soon evident that it could pay none ere long cromwell came to the resolution not to involve england in the european struggle between france and spain by leaguing himself with either but to take advantage of the opportunity to settle outstanding disputes and to maintain if possible amicable relations with both his plan however was not so easy of execution as it seemed When the protector, as a condition of the renewal of old treaties of commerce and friendship with Spain, demanded that England merchants should have the free exercise of their religion in Spanish ports, and that English colonists and traders in the West Indies should no longer be treated as enemies by the Spaniards, he met with a flat refusal. To ask liberty from the Inquisition and free sailing in the West Indies, declared the Spanish ambassador, was to ask for his masters two eyes and no concession could be made on either point. In August 1654, Cromwell resolved to send an expedition to the West Indies in order to exact reparation for the past and material guarantees for future security. He did not believe that these reprisals would lead to war with Spain and Europe, but if they did, he was prepared to take the risk. Equally unsuccessful were the negotiations with France, the expulsion from that country of Charles II, and and as partisans, was assented to in principle, and it was agreed that the losses which traitors of the two nations had suffered should be referred to arbitration. But the question of the Huguenots proved an insurmountable obstacle. The protector demanded that the treaty should expressly recognize his right to intervene on their behalf. If the liberties granted them by the Edict of Nantes were infringed, which France, as was natural, steadfastly refused. Cromwell remained firm. The protector, wrote Thoreau to an English agent, had espoused the interests of Protestantism, which is dearer to him than his life in all that he hath, and he could not consent to any clause in a treaty with a foreign power which seemed to be prejudicial to it. The year 1654 ended without England's coming to an agreement either with France or Spain. Relying upon his army and his fleet of a hundred and sixty ships, the protector felt strong enough to maintain a completely independent position and to assert the interests of england with a high hand in defence of either when penn sailed for the west indies in december sixteen fifty four he bore instructions not only to attack the spanish colonies but to make prize of any french ships he came across when blake in the previous october was dispatched to the mediterranean he was charged to continue the reprisals against french as well as to protect british trade blake's voyage made the british flag respected and feared throughout the mediterranean though the legendary account of the indemnities he exacted from the grand duke of tuscany and the pope for their unfriendly action during the dutch war is unsupported by evidence he made a treaty with the Day of algiers and redeemed the english captives held there the Day of tunis less amenable to reason refused reparation and would not even allow blake's ships to water in his ports we judged it necessary, wrote Blake, for the honor of our fleet, our nation, and religion, seeing they would not deal with us as friends, to make them feel us as enemies. So, sailing into the harbor of Porta Farina, he bombarded the day's castles and burnt his ships. April 4, 1655. Simultaneously, with the news of Blake's exploit, England learnt of the massacre of the Vaudois by the troops of the Regent of Savoy every puritan's heart thrilled with sympathy for the suffering of his fellow protestants milton called on god to avenge the sufferings of the slaughtered saints whose bones lay scattered on the alpine mountains the armies of the three nations urged cromwell to action the protector needed no prompting he headed with a gift of two thousand pounds the national subscription raised for the relief of the sufferers he told the french ambassador that the sufferings of the poor Piedmontese touched his heart as closely as if they had been his own nearest kin, and refused to sign the treaty with France, till the wrongs were righted. By the pen of Milton, he summoned all the Protestant powers to intervene, and he projected employing Blake's fleet to attack Nice or Villa Franca. Diplomatic arguments proved sufficient. Eager to secure the friendship of England, France put pressure on Savoy, the massacre ceased, and the vaudois were reinstated in their valleys the treaty of Pignerol left much unredressed and cromwell was far from satisfied with its terms but by every puritan in england and every protestant in europe he was hailed as a saviour of the vaudois even englishmen who were no puritans felt proud to see their country under his guidance assert the sovereignty of the seas punish the pirates of the mediterranean and defend the oppressed waller's panegyric to the protector upon the present greatness of his highness and this nation express this pride john milton the seas are own and now all nations greet with bending sails each vessel of our fleet your power resounds as far as winds can blow or swelling sails upon the globe may go fame swifter than your winged navy flies through every land that near the ocean lies, sounding your name and telling dreadful news to all that piracy and rapine use. Whether this portion of the world were rent by the rude ocean from the continent, or thus created it was sure designed to be the sacred refuge of mankind, hither the oppressed shall henceforth resort justice to crave and succor at your court. And then your Highness, not for ours alone but for the world's protector shall be known to such a land with such a leader asked waller what could be thought impossible ere long however the protector discovered that even the best laid schemes did not always prosper the panegyric was published at the end of may in august news came to england of the disastrous defeat of the expedition sent to the west indies at hispaniola the protector fell ill and everyone attributed his illness to vexation at all evil tidings contrary to his expectation also spain laid an embargo on english shipping withdrew its ambassador and declared war the breach with spain was accompanied by the completion of the long-delayed agreement with france which was signed on the very day that the spanish ambassador left england october twenty fourth sixteen fifty five in substance It was merely a commercial treaty, with a secret clause added for the expulsion of the leading royalists from France, and the Protector contented himself with a private promise from the rights of the Huguenots should not be infringed. The conditions under which the agreement took place made a more intimate connection between the two powers inevitable. But for the present, Cromwell was busily engaged in negotiations with Sweden, which he hoped to make the basis of the General League of Protestant States. In June 1655, Charles Gustavus, the successor of Queen Christina, invaded Poland and sent an ambassador to England to ask for aid in men, ships, and money. Cromwell treated the king's envoy with distinguished favor. They dine, sup, hunt, and they play bowls together. And never was ambassador or indeed any man so much caressed and regarded by Cromwell as this man is, nor did he ever seek the friendship of anyone so much as this king of sweden from the first he declared his willingness to enter into a more strict and close alliance with sweden both for the sake of the two nations and for the sake of the protestant cause yet it was impossible to come to an agreement the swedish king's conquest of catholic poland seemed to the protector again to protestantism wrestling a horn from the head of the beast he termed it but he saw plainly that it was not to the interest of england that the baltic should fall completely under the dominion of sweden and that to support the designs of the king on the baltic coast lands would necessarily embroil him with the danes the dutch and the brandenburgers for a time he hoped to turn the arms of gustavus against the house of austria and to convert the offered alliance into the protestant leagues he hoped for but it was all in vain and the sole result of the embassy Was a commercial treaty signed in July 1656. Meanwhile, at sea, the war with Spain was vigorously prosecuted. During the latter part of 1655 and through 1656, an English fleet cruised on and off the Spanish coast in order to prevent the Spaniards from sending reinforcements to the West Indies and to intercept the silver ships from America. It served also to protect English traders to the Mediterranean and to force the king of portugal to carry into effect the treaty of sixteen fifty four at one time cromwell with prophetic foresight proposed the seizure of gibraltar if possessed and made tenable by us he wrote to blake would it not be an advantage to us and an annoyance to the spaniards and enable us without keeping so great a fleet on that coast with six nimble frigates lodged there to do the spaniards more harm than buy a fleet and ease our own charge but without a force to land the admiral judged the design impracticable blake's perseverance in the blockade was at least crowned with success on september eighth sixteen fifty six captain stainer with a squadron of cruisers detached from his fleet met eight spanish ships from america off cadiz of which he destroyed four bearing treasure worth two millions and captured a fifth with a cargo of silver valued at six hundred thousand pounds more glorious however was the action at santa cruz and Tenerife, on april twentieth sixteen fifty seven blake sailed into the harbour where the spanish treasure fleet from the west indies had taken refuge fought batteries and galleons at close quarters and sunk or burnt all of the sixteen ships without losing one of his own it was the most brilliant of all his exploits and the last he died on his return to england worn out with the fatigues of the long blockade just as his ship was entering Plymouth Sound, August 7, 1657. Meanwhile, events forced Cromwell into closer union with France. The Spaniards had zealously adopted the cause of Charles II, hoping to overthrow Cromwell by means of an insurrection in England. In April 1656, Philip IV made a treaty with Charles II, by which he promised him a pension, Helped to maintain a little army of English and Irish Royalists in Flanders, and undertook to provide ships for their transport to the English coast. Spanish money also was employed to further the plots of the Lavaliers for the assassination of the Protector. It became evident that in order to force Spain to peace, it must be attacked on the continent as well as on the seas. On March 23, 1657, Cromwell signed an offensive alliance with France. By which England supplied six thousand soldiers, supported by a fleet, to attack the Spaniards in Flanders, and was to receive Mardyke and Dunkirk as its share of the spoils. He thought that the possession of Dunkirk would give him increased control of the Channel, enable him to exercise a greater pressure upon France, and provide a secure basis for land operations against Spain. It would be, said Secretary Thurlow, a bridle to the Dutch and a door into the continent six weeks later sir john reynolds with six thousand men landed at boulogne and joined the french army under touraine Turenne at first employed the english contingent in the interior of flanders in sieges and operations which seemed to serve french interests only and his delay to attack the coast towns made cromwell suspicious it seemed he wrote to sir william lockhart the english ambassador as if the french would not have us have any footing on that side of the water the french excuses for their delay were but parcels of words for children unless they set about the business at once he would withdraw his troops and demand the repayment of his expenses i desire you to take boldness and freedom to yourself in your dealing with the french on these accounts lockhart spoke boldly and freely and the effect was immediate the french army drew towards the flemish coast Mardyke was besieged, taken, and handed over to an English garrison. October 3, 1657. When the next campaign opened, Turenne laid siege to Dunkirk, and a Spanish army of 14,000 men under Don, John, and Conde advanced to its relief. Turenne routed them on June 4, 1658, amongst the sandhills on the south of Dunkirk, with the loss of 5,000 men no troops did better service in the battle than the english contingent under lockhart the joyful cheer the redcoats gave when they saw their enemy rouse the admiration of turenne and the duke of york who served in the spanish army was full of praises of his countrymen's courage on their hands and knees they stormed the sandhill which was the key of the spanish left and at push of pike drove the spaniards from it this victory decided the long struggle between france and spain and ten days later dunkirk surrendered it was all over now with the plans of charles II. half his little army had been destroyed in the battle and the ships provided for their transport had been captured by the english fleet cromwell had at last the foothold on the continent which he desired and england was safe from attempted invasion but the protestant alliance he dreamed of was farther off than ever a storm had risen in northern europe which threatened to make any such combination permanently impossible. As soon as Charles Gustavus conquered Poland, his ambition had brought him into coalition with his Protestant neighbors. A great coalition was forming against him, and in the spring of 1657 he appealed to Cromwell for help. But before Cromwell could risk either men or money, he required as a guarantee the temporary possession of Bremen. It would serve as a basis for military operations. If necessary, and as a means of bringing pressure to bear upon Denmark if Denmark attempted to break the peace. Gustavus refused, and all Cromwell could do was to endeavor to mediate between Sweden and Denmark. In May 1657, the Danes declared war and forced Gustavus to relax his hold on Poland. Brandenburg, Holland, and Austria joined the coalition, and at the end of 1657, it seemed as if Sweden must succumb cromwell had refused the joan gustavus in his designs to partition denmark but just as little could he consent to allow denmark and its allies to complete the overthrow of sweden he regarded the coalition as a catholic plot against a protestant power a plot in which misguided protestant states were furthering the work of the pope and the house of Habsburg. in imagination he saw the austrian engel once more stretching her wings toward the eastern sea and planting herself upon the Baltic, as in the dark days of the Thirty Years' War, before Sweden came to the rescue of the German Protestants. The speech which the Protector made to Parliament in January 1658 was full of these apprehensions. The question, he said, was whether the Christian world should be all popery. The Protestant interest abroad was stuck at, nay, quite trodden underfoot. The Spanish and the Austrian Habsburgs were leagued together to destroy it in poland and in the empire protestants were persecuted and driven out the swiss were threatened and sweden the chief champion of the protestant cause was in danger what resistance was there to this mighty current coming from all parts against all protestants only that made by gustavus a poor prince and yet a man in his person as gallant and as good as any of these late ages have brought forth A man that hath adventured his all against the Popish interest in Poland, and made his acquisition still good for the Protestant religion, he is now reduced into a corner. And what adds to the grief of all is that men of our religion forget this and seek his ruin. He declared that the success of the coalition threatened the commerce and the maritime power of England. If they can shut us out of the Baltic Sea and make themselves masters of that, where is your trade? Where are your materials to preserve your shipping? Every sailor knew what exclusion from the Baltic meant for England. The Protector's conclusion was that England must intervene to prevent the King of Sweden from being crushed, and be ready to back him, not only with its fleet, but by landing a force on the continent. You have accounted yourselves happy, said he, and being environed with a great ditch from all the world besides. Truly, you will not be able to keep your ditch. Nor your shipping, unless you turn your ships and shipping into troops of horse and companies of foot, and fight to defend yourselves on terra firma. The crisis passed away as rapidly as it had risen, and Gustavus rescued himself without English aid. A winter march over the frozen belt and the siege of Copenhagen brought Denmark to its knees. In February 1658, Cromwell's ambassador mediated a peace between the rival powers at rothschild but the peace was short duration in august sixteen fifty eight a month before cromwell died the war broke out again and once more holland and brandenburg came to the help of the danes the general protestant league was impossible because each protestant power preferred to pursue its private aims and defend its private interests ambition and national traditions made denmark and sweden irreconcilable foes Brandenburg was more anxious to secure its own independence than to propagate the faith. The Dutch sought first the interests of their commerce, and preferred, as Oliver complained, gain to godliness. In Cromwell's England, there were some who, like Moreland, held it the greatest glory of the protector that he had ever identified the interests of England with the interests of European Protestantism. But the merchants of London complained that they were ruined by the sensation of Spanish trade and the war with spain had lost him the hearts of the city to the commercial classes and to many republican statesmen holland not spain seemed the natural enemy of england and bitter attacks on the late protector's policy were heard in the parliament of sixteen fifty nine yet the great position in europe which cromwell's energy had gained for england impressed the imagination of contemporaries he once more joined us to the continent sang marvell in his lines on Cromwell's death, while Spratt depicted him as waking the British lion from its slumbers, and Dryden as teaching it to roar, contemporary historians struck the same note. Cromwell's greatness at home, admitted Clarendon, was a mere shadow of his greatness abroad. Burnett recorded with approval Cromwell's traditional boast that he would make the name of Englishmen as great as ever that of Roman had been still more glorious appeared the policy of the usurper in comparison with that of Charles II. It is strange, noted Pepys, in 1667, how everybody do nowadays reflect upon Oliver and commend him, what brave things he did, and made all the neighbor princes fear him. Then came a change. For a hundred years it was the fashion to say that Cromwell, by lying himself with France against Spain, destroyed the balance of power in Europe. And produce that preponderance of France against which Europe struggled so long. People forgot that the overgrowth of French power was due to the complexity of Charles II, even more than to Oliver's cooperation, and that, with Oliver as his ally, Louis XIV would neither have attempted the partition of Holland nor revoked the Edict of Nantes. With modern historians, it is a commonplace to observe that Cromwell's foreign policy was anachronism and that the era of religious wars ended with the treaty of Westphalia, and that material and political motives alone determined thenceforth the relations of European powers. There is much truth in this criticism, but in the years which immediately followed that treaty, religious disputes entered so largely into political quarrels that it was not easy for contemporaries to perceive what is obvious enough to posterity. Least of all, Was such clearness of vision possible to the Puritan statesman, in whose mind the interest of religion took precedence of all other interests, and to the soldier who regarded war as the instrument with which the god of battles worked out his purpose on earth. Cromwell's foreign policy was in part a failure, but only in part. He promoted the material welfare of his country and saved her from foreign interference in her domestic affairs. Where he sought purely national interest, he succeeded, but it was impossible for him not to look beyond England. God's interest in the world, he said, is more extensive than all the people of these three nations. At another time, he told his council, God has brought us hither to consider the work we may do in the world as well as at home. Others shared these views, and there were many Puritans who, like Cromwell, held that nations had duties as well as interests the duty of a free commonwealth wrote harrington was to relieve oppressed peoples and to spread liberty and true religion in other lands she is not made for herself only but should be a minister of god upon the earth to the intent that the whole world may be governed with righteousness this was the dream that cromwell sought to realize through his great protestant league look at from one point of view he seemed as practical as a commercial traveller from another a puritan don quixote End of chapter 18. Recording by Nico Williams.